sometimes the simplest things in life are the hardest things in life. Are they not? You know? Uh, but yes, that's the call. That's the power of simplicity. You know, simple, pray, hard, pray. You know, one of my favorite uh, passages on prayer, you know, it's not just one the one that Lita kind of shared, but the, the one Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. You know, and, and yet, when I'm anxious, when my day doesn't turn out the way I thought it would start, that's why it's hard for me to remember that. And let alone when I remember it, to actually do that. And then the times are hard. But yet, it is not just the least thing we can do, it is the most important thing we can do. It. And, and as we open up Psalms again this morning, the Psalm 31, we will see a prayer in this psalm that is simple, but yet one of the hardest prayers of Scripture to pray. I'm going to encourage us to get there. But really, the psalms kind of ask this question that we ask is, who can you trust? You know? Who can you trust? You may have a list. You may, you may be rocking, like going down your list of people you can trust. Most of those you probably have by name, you know? And, and the qualities that have gone. Some of you have gone, yeah, well, I know who I can't trust. I mean, uh, some of you may be surprised, but Jordan, we're going to ask a question. It's a simple question, okay? It's just a yes or no answer. Are there, is there drama at school? Yes, okay. You know, you know, I know that may be hard for some of the others, but there is still drama at school with our kids, maybe within families. And sometimes a trust is broken, and, and, and unfortunately, one of the realities of growing up, I think of little Lila over here, you know, can I sit here? You know, she has, she's going to learn that some people are trustworthy. Don't learn the hard way. And as a parent, we can't always protect our kids of God. You know? And, and what's interesting is uh, every year I kind of look at it. There's a study, I think it's done by Gallup. The, the most trusted professions and people in our world. You know? And uh, so uh, based on earlier this year, here are the top five trusted professions. Generally speaking, where people have believe these people are the most ethical and truthful, you know, uh, in these professions. Nurses. You know, if you have a good nurse, you've got a really good thing. Okay? Nurses. Interesting enough, who have taken a lot of meeting over this past three years? Nurses. You know, uh, one of the reasons we need to pray for our nurses to do. Two, medical doctors. I was a little surprised by this, but truly most of us and most people believe doctors are trustworthy. Pharmacists. You know, we have a good pharmacy in town. I mean, I love our pharmacy. And I, I've told many of you, if there is one person in the medical community you need to have as a good friend, it's a pharmacist. 
Okay? Especially if you're going to multiple doctors, you need somebody who's looking at everything going, wait a minute. And just reminding you, you know this medication can interfere with this one. Okay? Pharmacists are great. You know? Uh, interesting enough, those top three professions there, we don't have enough of those. Okay? We don't have enough to replace those who are retired or will retire, or those who just went out. Uh, fourthly, elementary teachers. You know, and, and uh, I've got to say once again, we live in a good school district. I'm biased, our kids are in there. I'm also biased, I married an elementary teacher, so you know, I knew she'd be trustworthy uh, on things. And then um, the, the next two are kind of almost high, but uh, military and police officers are, are around out the top five of those. You know, um, the least trusted people. I'm sure you're already coming up with a list of things. The, the ones that most people say are not trustworthy, do not have good ethics, and do not necessarily the most honest are lobbyists. Followed very closely by car sales people. Now, I'm, I was actually a little surprised by this because members of Congress beat out car sales Okay? You know, but members of Congress are next by those who do advertising, you know, are marketing people. If you're in marketing, nothing against you, but we know you're just trying to tell us whatever you think will work, so we buy what you're selling. You know, followed by state office holders. So if you want people to automatically not trust you, go into politics. It's almost guaranteed with that. Then round it out at number, I think, six, TV journalists. <laughs> and there's been quite a shift over the years. Actually, if you go back many years ago, you will notice there is someone missing, a professional missing of the top five. And that would be pastors and clergy. It's not that we're not trusted, but we have been knocked down, in part because I think our world does not trust religion. I would almost specifically say our world, our country does not trust uh, Christianity, and to some extent, what beliefs so. We have had scandal after scandal after scandal. In fact, if you look at most of that list, one of the reasons people lose their trust is because they say one thing and they do another. And that those people are not worthy of trust. If someone changes time and time again, they are not saved people and they are not to be trusted. And our world sees Christianity and religion in general and saying one thing and doing another. And we just need to know that. You know, that's why I love it when people just get to know me for me before they find out what I do. Okay, because one, either they've had a bad experience with a pastor. I have too. You know, I, I know some pastors that I'm just glad the Lord will do what the Lord will do. You know? But we do have issues. And we need not gloss over those issues, but we need to understand that those issues color the way people think of churches. In fact, there's a good reason for me to believe this morning that some of you here or listening to us this morning or watching us online that have had a bad experience with the church. You've been hurt by 
for church. That's more common than you would like to think. Sometimes because of truth, sometimes because of what they perceive, but all hurt is still hurt, regardless of some other things. And we live in this world, and so we must understand this world. I love this quote by Ian Scott Peck. He says, mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. I would only change two things about this quote. One, I would just get rid of the word mental. I will tell you health, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, relational, health is a commitment to reality. That's the other word I would not change, I'd interchange, I think you would probably be okay with all these. Truth. At all times. Even uncomfortable truth. Because truth is always honest. Always good, even when I don't like it, especially when I don't like it. And so we must be committed to the reality all around us, even when it doesn't paint us in a good light, because denial is tricky. You know, we can deny many things, and sometimes it looks, uh, you know, maybe even good. Sometimes denial looks like courage, because someone's just willing to go in. But they've not counted the cost. Jesus said, count the cost. Don't deny the fact that following Jesus is costly. It can look spiritual at times. Oh, I just have the faith. I, I'm good. Sometimes it comes out, though, and what we would say is not as good. Angry. You know, when you're anger, angry, it can be made because you, you've been faced with the reality and you really don't want to admit that. Been there, done that, just this week. Been there, done that. Denial can be true. And this is why I love the book of Psalms because the Psalms do not let us live in denial. It is dripping with the reality. In fact, even in Psalm 31, I don't want to spend much time on this portion of the Psalm 31, but if you look at verses 9 through 18, it's almost a repeat of the very first eight verses, but the psalmist David, he's getting down and dirty at the reality. He feels like, um, you know, he says here, like I'm a, I'm a piece of broken pottery. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I, I can't hold anything. I'm in despair. You know? I have forgotten. I'm as though I was dead. My strength fails. My life is filled with anguish. Reality for him was whatever is going on for him, and later on, whatever would go on for the nation of Israel, the psalmist has words for them to be able to share, to say. Even if those words just not the best of words, but the reality of life. Because the songs that we will allow them will ground us in this reality. They won't let us hide. There's other songs, though, when life is good, that we, we you know, can, can strengthen and go, uh, you know, on and on. You know, 
There's many of songs that talk about God's faithful love. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, Psalm 107. His love endures forever. You know, uh, and, and we are reminded time and time again. You know, but the great are the works, Psalm 111, of the Lord. They are honored by all who delay on him day and night. You know, and we see time again just the goodness of God being poured out time. You know, the psalm isn't just all negative. In fact, not even meditations, which is a little bit, nor Ecclesiastes, which says time and time again, meaningless, meaningless, all of life is meaningless, except we'll tuck in there those who wait on the Lord. We need both of the psalms and the words. This is why I love even Jesus himself. He, he doesn't just have, uh, you know, the uh, garden tomb experience. You know, but he also has the garden of Gethsemane experience. Where in anguish he sweats, not just sweats, but also blood. Where he utters words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, he probably would have uttered the rest of the psalm as well. But we, the psalmist will, ground, will get us grounded in reality, which will remind us God sees and acts in our life. The psalmist here, David, he, he talks about how, uh, you know, in the Lord I have taken refuge, and let me never be put to public scorn or shame, like we'll say later, that he doesn't allow us be put to public shame. He preserves. He acts. He hears me in my cry of anguish. You are never truly alone. We sing about it. Closer than a brother in the darkness of night. The goodness of God. All my days who have been faithful, whether we see it or not. Yes, we can be alone even in the company of others. But the Lord is still there. He's still waiting and watching. If you are a believer, we are indwelt. God lives within us by the Holy Spirit. So he goes everywhere we go, for better or for worse. He is there. The psalmist will remind us of that time and time again. And we too need to be reminded that he works in our world. He answers our prayers that we may pray. We also are reminded, especially in this Psalm 31, God is righteous, meaning his ways are right. Why do we lose trust in people? Because their ways end up being wrong. They're not righteous. Either they get it with the wrong motive, or they just end up not being the best way. But it says here, in the very first verse, leading us in, I've taken refuge, let me not be put to shame, but deliver me in your righteousness. And you have this battle going on here between those who say uh, their way is right and publicly humiliating David, the writer of this. Well, we don't know. Maybe he deserved it. Maybe he didn't. But it reminds others and reminds, can remind us this morning of the story of Job. You know, God's ways were right. He had friends who tried to say, Job, you're just messed up. Go ahead and curse God and get over it. 
Sherman said, no, 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 it isn't that simple. But I'll cry out to the Lord. And he utters words that I don't think he truly knew what he was saying. I know that my Redeemer is. In other words, that we as the church have seen to be about Christ, but I don't think Job really knew exactly the power of his words, but God's ways are right all the time. They are right. And so part of what the psalmist David is saying is if you want to learn to trust someone, make sure you find somebody whose ways are right. And hang on with that. But don't, not only do you want someone whose ways are right, David is saying, you want someone who is faithful and secure and who they are in their ways. And God is faithful and secure. That's why you can be called a, a rock in my time of need, a refuge, a fortress. And he later goes on to the end of the psalm, the Lord has shown me the wonders of his love. His faithful love is kind of the understanding there. God hasn't given up. And he's not just going, well, I think I might need to be done with this whole God stuff. I can't handle it any longer. But he's faithfully there to the very end. See, it is not just in times of Good times you find out who your friends, though I think that's a lot of truth. When times are going well for you, you have friends who will stick with you and not kind of go, well, it, don't worry, it's going to get worse. Yes, it very well may. You know? But you also find out who your friends are when, when you need them in times of trouble and despair. Those will be your safety people. You know, we all need some of those people. We need multitude of those. And God is there. That's why time and time again, one of the greatest prayers of the psalmist is, Lord, be, help me, turn to me, be my strong fortress and save Because they're realizing it is, it is better to trust in the God of this world than it is in other things. Because God loves and he is good. God is good. That is his character. Verse 19. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear. Yes, God judges. And we need to understand the awesomeness of God and the fact that God can judge, does judge, and will judge. God doesn't just give us good things, he also disciplines us, which is actually good. According to the book of Hebrews and all the scripture. God is good. And sometimes in the bad moments of life, we do not seem to remember it as easily. But if I'm going to trust somebody, I want somebody that is ultimately going to love me and that I truly believe has my best interest at heart. Even if I don't like what they're going to tell me. But I want them to be good. If I think they're not a good person, or I think their motives 
maybe immature, you better believe I don't want them to know much. I'll tell them some things, but they will always stay at an arm's length. To some extent, we have to learn, not just as kids, but as adults, the same people in this world. I want to challenge how, if you want to become a safe person in this world so others will open up, and they will, be trustworthy. Well, how do you do that? Love people really well. Be good to them. Be, be there in the good times and the bad times, and if you can't be there, just be honest that I can't do that. But I can't do this. Do more listening than you do speaking. And do your best to win ass, give really wise and good choices. You don't have to be 100% right, because we all know you don't know it all. And you may mess up. But also make sure that what you say aligns with how you live. In our world that is a distrusting of churches, of Christians to some extent, I want to add this. May people know what you stand for more than what you are against. And we as a church are doing that. And also, let's not fight every battle that we're invited to. You know, I've said it before. You can wrestle pig. Both of you get muddy and the pig liked it. Okay? We as Christians, we as people who love others, do not have to fight every battle we're invited to fight. But we can love all of us. We can walk humbly. And we can seek justice. And, and no one else, the psalmist is saying, we can seek it in the Lord. So here comes the simple but hard prayer that I want us to learn to pray. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Because see, we all have in common, when everything else is stripped away, the last thing we want to give up is our sense of pride, our sense of identity, our sense of soul, our spirit, what we have to control. And the paradox of Scripture is until we're willing to give it all up, we may lose it all. This is a prayer that is a prayer of total commitment because of who God is. It's a prayer of, I'm not, and he goes on to say it again, you know, in my days, my times are in your hands. Another way of saying the same thing. I am willfully and able to put myself straight in your hands, O oh Lord, because you are loving, because you are good, because your ways are right, because you are true, and so therefore I can trust you. And he's not making a statement that says, if I do this, all will end up well. You know, there's other, two other times in these scriptures that we, we believe with good understanding that, that this prayer was prayed. One of those, by our Lord himself, on the cross. 
What he says in his final words, one of his final words, into your hands, God, I give you my spirit. The other one was in the case of Stephen, as he's being stoned. Lord, in, my, in your hands, you can have my spirit. And, and I want us to remember that this is a prayer for life, not just death. See, the early church saw this as a prayer to be prayed by those on their deathbed. I think that's important. I think that is good. I think that's a reminder of, of, of things. And there are times when I'm at a graveside, I, I will say, you know, as you have been faithful in life, be faithful in death. To provide comfort, which scripture in Corinthians says God is a God of comfort. To do what is right in his wisdom. As you could hear. Well, can you imagine what would happen if we prayed every day, maybe morning and evening, Lord, into your hands and in my spirit? Really, I, I'm not going to take ownership of any of it. Into your hands I commit everything about me. How would that change? How would that change our churches? We learn to pray this. Into your hands, O Lord, I commit this place. None of this is fine. For those of us who are parents, if you really want to go even harder, what if you pray this over our kids? Now, I don't say that saying I did as well, okay?
praise prayer. And I'm challenging us as a church and as myself as an individual to do. Is into my hands commit my spirit. I don't know what they have. Life may fall apart tomorrow. But I'm going to try to learn to continue to pray because I believe that my prayers, it, it's not going to change God, it's going to change me. I'm going to see God in a way that I haven't seen. Jesus says, you know, why, why gain the whole world and lose your soul? But if you gain eternal life, it doesn't matter about losing the whole world. Why? Because he has abundant things stored up for those who fear him. This is why we must be like David at the end here. Be strong and take heart. Because the Lord will preserve whether on earth, where the beauty of scripture is beyond earth, because God's ways are always right. And that's why we can come to this table of communion, which is a reminder of the fact that we are to be praying, into your hands I commit everything, not just some things, a total commitment to the one who was faithful, as Paul says in, in Philippians, even to death. And not just a normal, ordinary, humane death, but death on cross. Because of his great love for you and for me. And so as we come to this table, may it be a time where we remember because Christ was willing to commit everything of his into the Father's hand. Yes, he was truly God, fully God, 100% God, but he was still obedient. He says this, I only do what my Father tells me to do. You know, because he uttered the words on the cross, we can have faith and trust that when we utter those words in life, he is faithful unto death for us. And death is just the final passageway to life. True life. So will you pray with me as we uh, get ready to gather around this table. Father God, we come to you.